Hello, I'll be reading to you um, our second passages for today. So that's Luke chapter 5, verses 33 to 35, and Luke 18, 1 to 8. Just give you a moment to find those in your Bibles. Before we read, please pray with me. Lord, our Heavenly Father, who hears and loves us, please prepare our hearts today to learn and love your word. For your word is truth and gives life. Please help Scott to teach it faithfully. And please work in us as we hear your teaching so that we may go out and obey it with joy in our daily lives. Amen. So first, please read with me Luke chapter 5, 33 to 35. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And our next reading is Luke 18, 1 to 8. Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, Yeah, right now I wouldn't say that I'm in fantastic physical shape. Um, Fitness is not my passion. Um, If you asked me to go for a run, I'd really be kidding myself if I kind of gave you any indication that I could keep up or not die on you in that process. Um, And not for the lack of trying. Um, Occasionally, I try to motivate myself. I print off, often it's a 30-day fitness schedule, running, you know, a nice reward at the end to motivate me. Maybe the couch to 5K, I've done that before. Um, Yeah, and and you just pile yourself on, like you get a nice 
fitness social media app, um, a nice smartwatch to measure every breath along the way. Um, and maybe, if, if, I'm, if I'm doing well, I'll do it for a week or two. Um, maybe if the reward is really good, maybe, maybe, just maybe, I'll get to the end. I'll do 30 days. I'll succeed. I'll order that book I promised myself, and, and then I'll stop. Um, because I find that without that motivation, and because I can actually just be so undisciplined, um, especially in the fitness area of my life, it's just so much easier to stop than to keep going. Um, it's so much easier to slip in a form of mediocrity where actually, oh, I did those, I did, maybe I did some steps today. That was, that was good. Um, or I tell myself that actually, oh, it'll be next month. Oh, kids, it's the second day of the month. Better start on the first of next month. <clears throat> or, you know, you know, it's Tuesday today. The best day is a Monday. And so, you know, next week. Um, or I just say that I'm busy. You know, my life, it's full of so many good things. Do I really have time for that today or this week or ever? Um, and I've bagged myself out with fitness. Um, I do hope to do some fitness soon. Um, but when I compare myself with spiritual disciplines, do I really stand up much better? And particularly in today's topic of prayer. I consider how often my Bible reading and prayer gets kind of put last place on my to-do list. The end of the night right before bed, right before going to sleep, where it actually often feels more like a duty than a delight. Where the words that come out of my mouth often feel more routine and more like recitation than they are thoughtful and thankful. Where the results can feel empty, or even a feeling that God isn't listening. And often that's because it's just hard to remember what we even did pray for last month or even yesterday. And what would we do for just a quick fix? Kind of like in fitness, people would jab at any new fad, maybe that jab or that cycle, anything that would just make those weights move themselves. A quick way to go from zero to hero in the gym. You know, take all my money, if that's what it means, if the effort is just little or none at all. And maybe I'll even deal with the potential consequences later. And it's in the place of lack of spiritual disciplines that those quick fixes can be really tempting. Where if it means that my prayers feel like they get answered, I'd go to that church, even if they teach something that I know is questionable. You know, there are many people who say, maybe if you buy this thing, go to this place, plant your seed of faith through funds, you receive what you ask for. Or I really want to actually just have that feeling of knowing that God is near. I want a feeling, and if I can have that by going and doing something, maybe I'll be there in a flash, even though I actually know that God is always near to me. Those quick fixes in spiritual disciplines, they provide no substance. There's no growth Nothing that actually lasts. You only receive things that drain and ultimately destroy you and leave you abandoned. What we need, what I need, is physical discipline, but 
we also need spiritual discipline and actual spiritual growth. And God, yes, he does help us. He does provide for us. But he has also done so through spiritual disciplines to help us and to train us. And we need to flex those muscles. We need to train ourselves and our practices if we expect to grow in this area spiritually. So we're going to look today at the spiritual discipline of prayer and fasting. We're going to look at them in this, in this kind of way. We're going to look at what is prayer. Let's, we'll define it first. Then some practical steps for prayer. And then we'll end with fasting. So first, what is prayer? What are we talking about? Um, here are some good definitions for you. Um, prayer is our communication and communion with God. It's our communion and communication with God. Or another one, and I like this one. Maybe you can pick this up in Daniel. Prayer is coming and taking to God what he has promised to do. I really like that one because what always comes to mind is God's people, wherever they are, in Egypt or in Daniel, and they cry out to God in prayer. And they ask God to act decisively, to act actually as he promised he would. Prayer is coming and taking to God what he has promised to do. Or a third definition um, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is always good. I won't sing it for you. Um, Question 98 says, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And I think this definition is really helpful because it kind of breaks down all the different parts for us. It guides us. It tells us what prayer is and guides us in it. So we come and we offer up our desires unto God. That is, we come and we actually get to tell God what we want. We get to tell the one who holds everything in his hand, as his children, what we actually desire. There is the slight qualification, though, that we pray for things agreeable to his will. That is, we should not pray for things that God doesn't desire for us. We should say that not all of our desires are good. Actually, many would harm us if God granted them to us. My, uh, my youngest child, you may see him later, um, he often desires basically anything that he can get his hands on. Um, I, I don't know if you saw earlier, he found a texter and he shoved it in his mouth and now his teeth are slightly more green than what they were before. Um, yeah, sorry, Kate, if you're watching at home. Um, but often he gets hungry and he'll eat anything that he can get his hands on. He'll go to the table because he knows that that's where food comes from and his hands will go up. He can't really see what's on there, but he'll grab and try and eat bread from this morning, the knife, or just he'll grab onto things that are just way too heavy for him to carry. And most of those things, I would be a bad parent if I just gave them to him. No, we come to God and we should pray with what's good for us, things agreeable to his will. 
We do pray in the name of Christ, the one who not only intercedes for us in heaven, but by the one whom we have been made his children, God's children. We come confessing our sins, knowing that we do need forgiveness, but knowing that we come freely to God and he gives that to us. And we come with thankfulness because he has done so much for us already. And knowing that we pray to God, we pray to a God who actually loves us so much more than we love ourselves. That slowly changes the way that we pray. (laughs) Because we are praying to the one who ultimately desires what is best for us. And so as we pray, we, as we consider who it is that we're praying to, as we know more about God and we learn about him, that will make him, well, no, nope, that's not what they say. Will we make him want what we want? Or the other way around? Because actually he knows what's best and I need to change to match him. Matt, this week, sent me a helpful quote on this from a world-renowned missionary in India called E. Stanley Jones, who was known as a man of prayer. And he explained it like this. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will but the aligning of my will to the will of God. And so, prayer, even as we come to God, as we grow and know more about the one we come to, as we know how much he loves us, that will change how we pray. Our prayers will actually change us, and they will draw us to him. That's what prayer is. But here are some three principles for what your prayer should involve. So three principles. Firstly, we pray to God. Well, sorry, we learn to pray. We learn to pray, and primarily by God's word, but also from others. Just as God talks to us both in his word, as it's read and as it's preached, so it guides us as we pray. In God's, in the Bible, we find many prayers of God's people in history lifting all kinds of prayers to God. And not just the prayers, but the whole Bible challenges us. It exposes our sin. It shows us where to find forgiveness. We have an entire book of the Bible in the Psalms, which are just prayers, which cover every season of life. We also have the Lord's Prayer which is specifically there, given to guide us and teach us to pray. All these prayers in the Old and New Testament, they help us and guide us, and they expand what we would naturally want to pray for. They show us what God wants for his people. And this is true also for prayers outside the Bible. We learn also from others. My eldest son, if I was to ask him to pray at a meal, he now uses the exact wording that I would naturally do. 
and that wasn't prompted by me. He's heard me pray so many times that he knows that this is how we pray. He's learnt to pray like me. And there are many prayers from so many godly people throughout all of history that we can learn and read from. One of my favourites is a little book called The Valley of Vision. I don't know if you've come across it. It's a collection, it's a book of prayers by the Puritans who lived about two to 400 years ago. What I love about it is how much their prayers show how much they love God, how much they know about God. Their prayers reflect not only a deep understanding of God, but they naturally reflect the scriptures that they have spent so much time in. And we can learn to pray more like them by engaging with more of them and also more of scripture. So that's our first principle. Second principle, disciplined prayer knows that God is actually more concerned with holiness rather than happiness. I have touched on this briefly, but it's worth repeating. And that God does actually want you to be happy, but he wants you to be truly happy. He actually wants you to be joyous in him. Jesus points us not to the happiness found in materialistic things of this world, but he does point us to a deeper happiness, a real joy found in becoming more like him. When you reflect about the this prayers in Scripture, particularly Paul, I think, they aren't about jobs. They aren't about your money or your property. They aren't about when you'll get married or even that you'll often remain healthy. The primary focus of prayers and Scriptures guide us to see that we would actually know God more, that we would mature, that we'd become more like Christ even through the hardships of this life. Even when the money fades, the property is gone, and our families are full of problems. And if this is where the focus of God's word is, should that not be ours also? Third principle, disciplined prayer leads us to resting more on God knowing that he knows best and is in control. I think Paul makes this clear in Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Let me quickly turn there for us. And this is a prayer that I actually need to think about more and more. Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I need to think about this passage more, because more often I think I find myself, rather than bringing things to God in prayer, is I often begin by trying my hardest. I'll try really hard, and I'll stress about it, do all I can, I'll get overwhelmed, and then maybe I'll remember this passage. 
remember that actually it's God who holds all things in his hands for us. Is the one that we can take all that worries us. We can bring them to him. We can leave the stresses behind because God is actually moving all creation even for our good. I've also recently enjoyed Romans 8, 28, which says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. If both of these things are true, if we're commanded to bring our prayers and requests to God and that he gives us peace and that God works all things for our good, and I can give to God in prayer all my stresses, all my failings, knowing that he moves all creation for those that he loves. Those are our three principles of prayer. But maybe you know all these things. Maybe you don't need to be taught those things. What you actually find hard is the actual discipline part of prayer. It's easy to pray maybe right now, but tomorrow, next week. Well, let me give you some eight practical steps to help build your discipline in prayer. So practical steps. I would also say that some of these are kind of like a crossover from what Matt gave us last week. Um, though I think everything that Matt said last week um, in, the, in his 10 points are worth having as well. I've tried not to overlap too much, so if you want more, you can look at last week's sermon as well. <clears throat> um, practical steps for prayer. One, have a set time for a specific Bible reading and prayer and stick to it. Two, to help with that, have a friend. Do it with a friend. Pray at the same time, even when you're not together. Meet up regularly and keep each other accountable. It's much easier to go to the gym more than once when you go with someone. Three, have a list of people that you would like to be praying for. And each time you pray, run through that list. And four, and this is not one that I do, but I highly recommend, is write down your prayers in a journal. Writing can help you keep focused. They also allow you to come back in the future and see how God has answered your prayers. If you're often distracted, your mind goes elsewhere, praying out loud can be helpful helps you to keep your focus on what you're saying. Six, like all exercise, it's worth starting small. Set aside maybe 15 minutes, spend time reading God's word and then praying. And then you build that up over time. Set realistic goals that will help you. Seven, increase the scope of your prayers. There are so many things to pray for. We can always pray for the persecuted church, our church, your family, your neighbours, but increase that scope. And eighthly, increase the language and vocab of your prayers by reading other people's prayers. 
Read the Bible, see what Paul prays for and use the language that Scripture gives us. Come to God using the words that he has given us. But I'd like to do number nine, but number nine is quite a large one, so it's kind of its own point, um, is that disciplined prayer is regular and persistent. When I think about my own prayer life, this is one area that I really need to refocus on, the discipline of persistent prayer. Not just praying about something once because I'm confident that God hears me, but again and again, continuously until God answers, bringing prayers to him. Paul in 1 Thessalonians, in Ephesians 6, in Philippians 1, it's constant that he, Paul brings up that he prays constantly for people. And we had read Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow, which is all about Jesus saying that God's people need to pray continuously and not give up. Let's spend a bit of time there in that parable. In the parable, there's a judge and a widow. The widow is pictured as coming regularly to the judge. She calls on him to do justice for her. And though it takes some time, the widow is persistent and eventually the judge caves in. He gives the widow justice because she is relentless and that's, that concerns the judge. He's worried for even his safety. It's a strange parable. It's the kind of passage that you come to and go, oh, sorry, Jesus, I think you... What? <laughs> um, because the judge is a horrible character. And we often wonder, how does this help us understand how do we pray to God? Is Jesus making God like a horrible judge? Well, no. The point is given in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show that they should always pray and not give up. And Jesus is working from the lesser to the greater. If the horrible judge gives in when a persistent widow, kind of the weakest person in society, continues to come to him, how much more will God listen to the consistent prayers of his children? If the judge listens to the widow who persists daily, how much more will God listen and do justice for those who cry out to him daily, day and night, Will God bring justice? Yes. And Jesus tells us that we must continue praying and not giving up. God wants us not to just to come to him once, but to constantly bring our prayers to him, our prayers and requests. To pray regularly for friends, for the sick, for our country. I look back and so often I just pray for things once or twice or maybe for a week at best and then I move on and I forget. But God calls us to pray and not give up. I think one of the best places I've seen this is in a very long dead man um, called George Mueller who I highly recommend reading about his life. A man who prayed continuously and consistently. He writes in his journal that in November 1844, 
I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land, on the sea, or whatever the pressures of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. <laughs> and then, like, to break the narrative, 36 years later, George Mueller wrote, for the other two, sons of one of his friends, but they were still not converted. He wrote, but I hope in God. I pray on and look for the answer. They are not yet converted, but they will be. In 1897, I can't do quick maths for you, but it's 50-something years, oh no, it's 52 years after he began to pray daily for those men. Those two men were finally converted and after George Mueller had died. But George understood the power of prayer. He understood what God is saying in his word, that we need to come to him and daily pray for those who we love and who he loves. Will you take up that? Will you pray daily and consistently, never ceasing? One final help. Um, it comes in the form of an app. Um, I can say that personally nothing has helped my prayer life more than a particular app called Prayer Mate. It's like you know, the most Australian app name you can have. Um, what I really like about it particularly is that it just has an alarm that is built in that you can set and then it constantly each day reminds you. But in it, there are mission organisations who input people to pray for. There are lists to help guide you as you pray. There are, you can pray for your children and it will give you things that you should be praying for your children, your friends. There are scriptures built into it to help you think and pray in line with God's word. And let me again say, like it has an alarm, so it will constantly remind you to pray. Um, so it's not just me, um, Paul, Tim, Paul Tripp and Tim Chester, um, both pastors and fantastic authors, um, they both say that this app revitalised their prayer life. And me also. The reminder each day to pray, not just for myself, but for other people that I know, helps me to love them more, to take them to God in prayer. If you wanted to just take a break now and download that app, that would be okay. This is the only time that you're allowed to download apps in a, in a sermon. Um, uh, we're going to do a hard gear change and um, go to fasting. Um, our world has a lot to say about fasting. Um, intermittent fasting is the new way for you to lose weight and get fit. Um, it sounds like the kind of thing I need to think about doing. Um, 
But fasting in our world is not a new thing. Um, it has historically always been connected with, and I can't say this word properly, like aestheticism, kind of like um, a depriving of yourself. Yeah, you can correct me afterwards. Um, yeah, starving yourself kind of for spiritual experiences. But is that what the Bible is talking about with fasting? Um, I think, actually, biblical fasting is both for a different reason and a different result. Biblical fasting is for a brief period um, where there is the need for much prayer, uh, saying no to good things in your life, that you can focus on God, come to him in prayer. We have examples in our Bible of David, After being confronted with sin, he spends time in sackcloth and ashes. Or the Ninevites in the book of Jonah, they know that destruction's coming and their first response is to tear their clothes and to fast. Or Daniel, knowing that God's salvation is at hand, the first thing he does is pray and fast, calling on God. It's always with confession of sin. It's also in times where an important decision needs to be made, like the commissioning of someone to a particular ministry. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, before they get sent out on their first journey, spend time in prayer and fasting. Or even Jesus' own fast before he goes out. Fasting doesn't have to be for long, but it is the restricting of the good things in your life so that you can focus on God. There's even the example in 1 Corinthians where married couples may spend time apart for prayer. That seems to be the only example where it's just not food, um, but worth saying. But what's the purpose? What is, what is fasting? Well, John Piper helpfully gives us a good definition in hunger for God um, and an apt Um, title. Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of a homesickness for God. Christian fasting is not only the spontaneous, spontaneous effect of superior satisfaction in God, it is also a chosen weapon against every force in the world that would take away that satisfaction. To make that more simple, we're not like John Piper's lofty words, In fasting, you remind yourself that the external things, the physical things in this life that often do satisfy us is not where we find ultimate satisfaction. We are reminded of our weakness and thus our dependence on God, and that leads us to pray. I can't say that I'm an experienced faster. I have done it once, um, so can say something. Um, And that was at a time when there was someone particular who was really hurting. And so I took up fasting for a day. And again and again throughout the day, I prayed for them, calling on God to help them. What was very helpful was that fasting provided a constant bodily prompt to prayer with every moan and groan of my body as it wanted more food, it was a reminder of the reason 
full of prayer. Oh, sorry, full of fasting. It reminded me why I was fasting and drove me to prayer. To call upon the one who does satisfy. Who does answer our prayers. And it was in that fasting that reminded me, even though what was happening was so difficult and so painful, it reminded me that ultimately I was powerless to do anything. I was weak and I was tired. And, I was, and as I prayed, I was praying, I knew that I was praying to the one who ultimately had it all under control. I could bring that prayer to him. But how would you go about it? What are some practical steps for fasting? I think first, if you were to do this, one, you need to know how long you're going for. It's worth setting aside, you know, I'm going to fast for one day, two days. Would advise, again, starting slow. Don't go full out. Um, yeah, and then on a phone or whatever device, set a regular timer throughout the day to, if anything, remind you just to pray. And then thirdly, this may surprise you. For the rest of it, go about your day as normal. And that may be confusing, but the point is to not bring attention to yourself. You're not doing fasting for other people's approval. It's meant to bring you closer to God. Throughout the day, reflect on God's constant provision and how weak we are. But let me also raise some dangers, because there are some things that we must not do. In fasting, fasting, again, is between you and God. Jesus in the scripture warns about fasting so to get attention or to appear spiritual, to make yourself look like you're in constant pain. Or secondly, another danger is to think that fasting or any sort of physical restrictions somehow makes you more pleasing to God as if by fasting you're earning your position before him. What's so bad about that last one is that it completely misses the point. Fasting is about dependence upon God, that we come to him in earnestness and prayer, not to earn anything, but because we can't. We come to seek his mercy and we come to fellowship with him in closeness and to ask for his help. Fasting reminds us that we are so weak. And that drives us to the one who is so eager to hear from us and to satisfy us. Let's come now and pray to the one who does truly satisfy us. Our Father, we are so weak. We are in so much need of your help. Lord, help us to pray more, more and more, to bring our requests to you. Remind us daily that everything is in your hands. Lord, strengthen us 
Satisfy us only in you. Remind us daily how much you love us and how you work all things for our good. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you. Lord, we do pray that you'll help us to pray more and more for them, for our world that is lost without you. Help us to bring our prayers to you, not just once, but Lord, work in us and change our habits that we may come to you constantly and unceasingly. Lord, may we become a church which is full of your people calling out to you. And Lord, we commit this to you for the sake of your Son, Jesus. Amen.